0: I apologize for the heat in the room. There isn't anything we can do about it. They have said that they have given us everything they've got. <laughs> and uh, until the end of May, it's apparently illegal to turn on the air conditioning. So try to bear with it. I'm sorry. It's the best we can do. Uh, secondly, we, despite my eloquent plea earlier, <laughs> we didn't do terribly well financially so with your indulgence quietly we're just going to start a box going through the audience and if any of you have second impulses please you know drop whatever you can in. we'd appreciate it these events really do cost quite a bit to put on and we want people here who can't afford it but if some of you can your help would be greatly appreciated So on to panel number two, Robert Reed-Farr is third from the left, and he is the moderator. Um, Okay, thank you. Um,
1: It's my honor to introduce our panelists today. Uh, To my far left is Asado Saint. Um, Asado Saint is the editor and publisher of The Road Before Us, 100 Gay Black Poets, Here to Dare, 10 Gay Black Poets, and the forthcoming Milking Black Bull, 12 gay black poets Um, He is the author of three theater pieces on gay black life New Love Song um, Rising to the Love We Need and Black Fag His collection of poem stations was published in 1989 His collected writings Spells of Voodoo Doll will be published in June 1994 He is a person living with AIDS Um, To my immediate left is Del Peck um, Dale was born on Long Island and lived there until he was about seven years old, until his father, a widower, and we know what that means, um, moved his two children to Kansas. Peck was educated at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Uh, his work has appeared in Outweek, Week, in YQ, and in Men on Men 4, um, Best New Gay Fiction 1992. Uh, Dale lives in New York City and is currently at work on a second novel, Red Deer. He is 25, uh, scant 25 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, To my immediate right um, is Christopher Bram. Christopher grew up in Norfolk and in Virginia Beach, Virginia. He moved to New York City in into New York in 1978, working first for the Social Security Administration, and then at Scribner's Bookstore. His first novel, "Surprising Myself," was published in 1987. Followed by "Hold Tight" in 1988, In "Memory of Angel Clare" 1989. And he's recently published a novel, "Almost History," in 1992. Um, to his right is uh, Michael Cunningham. Uh, Michael Cunningham's novel, A Home at the End of the World, was published in 1991 by Forrest, Strauss, and Giroux. He is at work on another novel. He received a Guggenheim Fellowship this year, and his first play, Wonderland, will be read at Playwrights Horizons in July. And then, um, last but not least, is Dennis Cooper, who is the author of two novels, Frisk and Closer and a short fiction collection entitled Wrong. Um, Jerk, J-E-R-K, his collaboration with the artist Nayland Blake uh, was recently published by Artspace Books. In early 94, Grove Press will publish his new novel, Try, T-R-Y, and a volume of his selected poems. He edited the anthology of uh, rebellious queer writing discontents, and D-I-S-C-O-N-T-N-T-S since I'm spelling everything else.
2: <laughs>
1: and he has written on contemporary culture for Spin Magazine, The Village Voice, um, Art Forum Interview, and elsewhere. He currently lives in Los Angeles. Um, well, I thought that the best way to start the questioning was to um, ask all of you um, the first question, and it's a question about um, um, generational shifts or generational splits and I, um, I wanted to know what it is that you think distinguishes you as a younger gay writer. Uh, that is to say I, I wonder if you agree with the way that the panel discussion has been set up such that um, we're making a distinction between all of you and uh, between all of you and Delaney, Ginsburg, um, Friedman, White and, uh, Andy, and Purdy as well. And if you do see major differences between um, what's happening between um, younger gay writers and older gay writers, um, then what are they? And why are they? And I guess maybe we could start at the
3: end with you, Dennis. Well, I mean, in terms of the split, and it's true, I'm only 11 years younger than Samuel Delaney, and I'm a lot older than that of Dale Peck, so it is kind of curious. Um, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I guess I don't feel any more attached to these dudes than I do to the other ones. So, it doesn't make any, <laughs> much difference to me. I mean, because, I mean, I guess I'm at that age where, I, I mean, what I was influenced by when I was first writing was... Um, i mean some some of them and so um yeah i guess i, I guess i don't uh, i mean my work's so personal that it doesn't it doesn't uh it doesn't address social issues too much so i'm not sure that there is a whole lot of difference for me in the generational thing maybe there's more with some of the others but
4: yeah, I, I feel sort of like you know they had to organize us somehow, um, and you know it could just as easily have been you know people who look better in blue versus people who look better in red. Um, you know, I, I would, uh, I hope to write something someday as as um, adventurous and and passionate and shocking as what Allen Ginsberg is writing. You know, it's um, but you know this this I think this is bound to come up. In various forms, over and over again, it, it, as it did throughout the first panel, I'm sure it'll come up again in our panel. Um, this whole question of, of divisions and categories and classifications—you um, know—because we are marginalized, it's a fact. Um, we we organize ourselves, and I, you know, I, I I would be lying if I didn't say it's a great pleasure to sit here and and you know, talk to people who I feel some kinship with, who I feel are, you know, like, sort of family. Um, but, you know, I, look, I do look forward to the day when we don't have these panels, you know, when, all, when, when, when you know, a panel of gay writers would be as, as kind of ridiculous as, as a panel of red-haired writers. Um, that day isn't here yet.
5: Uh, I don't. I don't really feel uh, a strong division either. It's. I mean, I felt like. I mean, usually it's talked about. Oh, there were the pre-Stonewall writers, and then there were the immediate, the writers at the time of an after-Stonewall, and that we're the post-Stonewall writers. But it's. I think it's like traditions that have run simultaneously, uh, and it does seem that one comes into the foreground at a certain time. But they're. They're all. They're always present at that time. I think mean, Dennis Cooper has much more in common with, uh, um, with William Burroughs or with Allen Ginsberg than he does with uh, um, David Levitt. I feel I have much more in common with Darren. It's not that I compare myself, but just more in common with what we're after with somebody like Christopher Isherwood. Than I do with uh, David Feinberg, uh, so it's kind of like these these um, these different traditions that are running along simultaneously, uh, and they it's kind of uncles and, and brothers and so forth. It's not uh, um, it's not these very distinct generations that uh, that that split us apart.
6: Well, as has been pointed out twice tonight, I am only 25 years old. Um, <laughs> and it, it's also a fact, actually, but, you know, um, I listened to everyone else's bios on this panel and on the panel before, and they just talked about their work, and they talked about where I was born and where I grew up and everything else, because I only have one book, and that's it, and two of the magazines that they mentioned have gone out of business. So um, <laughs> that's, that's really it. So I guess for me there's this very clear distinction of, of being 25 and having the first book out, and that makes me, I guess, truly a young gay writer. Um, I think too, though, that I like to see it more less as a division than as some kind of continuum, um, and, you know, based on age. That goes back to Whitman, you know, to Oscar Wilde, to Allen Ginsberg, um, to Dennis Cooper, who I consider before me, to <laughs> David B. Feinberg, to me. You know, I mean, it's just it's all there, and we're all on the same line. And that you could draw the distinction between me and David B. Feinberg, who wrote one of the first AIDS novels to mention the word AIDS in it, or you could draw the distinction between me and Oscar Wilde, who wrote, you know, novels about gay people without mentioning gay people, and you know, that the fact that they actually were gay, and the distinction is always arbitrary. And I think what what's more important is the similarities, the continuum that exists there, and it's just the evolving face of how we write literature. And um, I guess the only other thing I wanted to say that there is some kind of political context in which we publish now, in which if you publish a novel before Stonewall, you were gonna, you could expect a vastly different reaction. I mean. When James Baldwin published um, Giovanni's Room, the the nicest thing that was said about it was that he treated a subject of such repulsion with such great tact, you know, and and we don't have to deal with that sort of thing anymore, by and large. I mean, we're going to get it every once in a while, but I can put my book out and not be surprised when the New York Times reviews it favorably and doesn't say that it's a novel about homosexual love, but it's okay, you know, that they actually talk about it as a book in and of its own terms, and I think that's something that you know, the people on the panel that just spoke had to deal with in different terms than I have to. I've never had to worry about that. Um, I think it, you know, not to belittle anyone who's writing now, but I think it took more courage to write a book about a gay subject um, a long time ago and not so short ago than it does now. So that's how I would make distinctions.
7: Although I'm 35 years old, I feel so old. (laughs) (laughs) Spiritually, physically, emotionally, due to the health crisis that we have been going through during the past 12 uh, years, taking care of my most dear friends, taking care of my lover, all of them who have died, has uh, given me a certain wisdom that I am grateful for. I feel old, but I'm also rejuvenated by uh, the movement that's happening in the lesbian and gay community, politically and writing-wise. There's great stuff coming out And also, although so many of us are facing our mortality much sooner than we expected, there's always new faces coming. And I'm optimistic. I also want to acknowledge Allen Ginsberg. Back in 1975 or 76, I was a sophomore at Queen's College. The English department had invited Allen Ginsberg to perform, yes. and a performance he put on. <laughs> he got down on his knees reading Master, O Master, oh master etc., and I was, my God, spellbound. I could not believe that he, this man was being so truthful, so honest, so moving, and I want to acknowledge him because if there was one person I aspired to emulate, it was he.
1: Thank you. Um, I was going to, I very much want to ask a question about um, race and um, class and the way that um, that a race is represented in, in contemporary gay fiction and the way that um, various classes of people are represented in, in contemporary gay fiction and the way also that um, each of our um, racial and economic identities um, affects the way that we write. And, I, and my um, sort of, Knee-jerk reaction was they asked the question to Eve, uh, being the only black person in the panel, or is the Eve?
7: Asutosh, sort of, excuse me. I write under the pseudonym Asutosh I want to clarify that I have never lied, denied, or invoked the right of privacy regarding my pseudonym. So Robert knows me as Eve, but I I'm choose sorry. the name sort of
1: Asutosh In any case, it's not Can an outing myself. of me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Asado. Um, <laughs> I can be the devil also, trust me. <laughs> Don't
7: start. Okay.
1: What was the question? Well, I'm not gonna help you. <laughs> Well I said I was going to ask you the question. I'm not going to ask you this question. Um But I I thought, and I was, I wanted to ask a question about the way that our own um, racial and and economic identities, I guess, sort of inform the way that we write and what we write about. And um, I was going to ask Asado, being the only black person on the panel, or um, as they would say in Puerto Rico, una moca en la leche. What um, happened to
7: you? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Being the only black person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Being the only black person in your position on the panel <laughs> So I decided I was going to ask that question to um, Chris um, Especially since um, I heard you read an, an excerpt from your last novel And I know that it deals a lot with um, the interactions of uh, various races of, of people uh, Of gay men in particular And I wondered, how, I wondered do you ever write as a do you think about writing as a white man? Um, I mean, I, this is a question that's asked to black people all the time, so, you know, turnabout is fair play. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how does race work in your novels?
5: Uh, well, I'm very conscious of writing as a white, middle class, lower middle class man, and I try to, this is a hard one, um, I, I try to um, include others. I mean, it's kind of, I like... Uh, I like the drama, I like the challenge it just it seems more honest it seems more um it, it is harder i mean I feel uh do I have the right okay in my second novel whole type uh the secondary main character is a uh is a black house boy in a male brothel and uh who occasionally dresses up in drag and I was kind of do I dare and i thought okay well let's see if I can pull it off or not and and I think I could. I think the fact he was gay enabled to, to give me an, an entry into him as a character. I don't think I could write about a straight black man. I, it was easier for me writing about a gay black man with, um, with almost history. There's uh, um, a whole relationship with a uh, Filipino bisexual hairdresser that my main character who's a uh, career foreign service officer becomes involved with, and um, and again the um, it was a challenge. I felt like very nervous doing it. I think I pulled it off. I'm. I want. I want to kind of um, get outside my own experience. Uh, I want to include my own experience, but expand it, extend it, and include. Uh, uh, not only people of color, women. I find uh, I always try to include. Um, right now, I'm working on a novel where I have one of the main characters is a straight man, a straight white man, and I find that the hardest of all. Uh, it's. I mean, you want him to be a real person, you want it, but uh, and they they are really difficult to do. Uh, <laughs>
8: Well,
1: can can I ask you a follow-up then? Um, I wonder how you would respond to the comments um, that Edmund White was making about sort of the um, balkanization of identity in um, and, in and the United States in particular. I mean, do you agree with that, and do you see that as being a problem in the same way that he does?
5: Uh, I see it as happening. I don't see it as as a problem, really. It's or it's um, there, there's so many positive aspects of it. Uh, okay, but we were talking about, uh, the previous panel was talking about James Baldwin. I, we are rediscovering James Baldwin now as a gay writer. I mean, it's, we're discovering a whole new dimension to him that, uh, that I mean, it, it keeps him alive. He's not going stale on us. He's uh, um, a lot of writers with the Harlem Renaissance uh, who... Who at least I don't as as a white man I didn't know existed until uh, till I started reading them uh, with gay literary criticism people like County Cullen uh, the whole importance of Elaine Locke uh, in the 1920s uh, I mean I saw they, I discovered them as gay men uh, and so my my gayness has given me an entry into uh, people other than than white people. I mean, it gives me a whole new bridge. Uh, And I think that's true for a lot of readers. Uh, I think, I mean, this is, with the gay black writers, I think it's just beginning to happen now. But I think we've seen the same thing happen with Willa Cather. Uh, I mean, Willa Cather was, in a way, she'd kind of gone a little dead. I mean, she was being taught in high school, which is surest way to to kill a writer. but then, then first feminist rediscovered her and then a lesbian critics and she's alive again, she's very fresh and, uh, and so to me it's, it, it is a good thing it has a lot of value to it Would you like to get in on it? on that end of the table?
4: Yeah, I, um, I, I wrote a, a piece on Queer Nation for a magazine uh, a little while ago and I was uh, in San Francisco talking to a Native American woman who said um you know, I really want to see the definition of queer expanded. She said, "I feel queer not only as a lesbian but as a Native American, as a woman, and she said, "You know I don't feel less queer in one respect than I do in another you know it's 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 a white heterosexist society, and the kind of you know every, with every turn of the dial, you're that much farther off the beam um and you know I mean I, I think I think you could you could if you really wanted to wanted to stretch it, you could say even even most straight white men are outsiders. Are, are somehow outside of some kind of thing that we that excludes all of us. Just, a, a, but George Bush will have to do in another lifetime. You know,
9: <laughs>
4: um, if we if we if we need an, uh, if we need an us and them, some straight white guys will do as a them, I suppose. Um, but I think you know I think we have very few obligations as writers. Our obligations are to stay alive long enough to write what we can write or to write. Quickly enough during the time we have, but I do think, as queer writers, whether we whether whatever, however, whatever way we're queer, um, we really have an obligation, as as Chris was saying, to use what we know to get under the skin of of other people whose experience is, you know, like ours and completely different from ours, but who are who are on the outside. And I mean, I, I think that's one of the great things that. Um, Lesbian and gay writers have to offer. We have we we've we've seen some shit, you know, and we can sort of get it. Um, if you're white, you can still, I think, if you let yourself sort of get it about being black or being a woman. Um, and we, that's a you know, we we really have to push that.
1: Anyone
6: else? Um, someone can correct me if I'm quoting the wrong person, but I. I think it was even Shakespeare who said that the writer has no sex and I think we lost that a long time ago and I, you know, I think we could add that to say the writer has no sex, he has no race, he has no class and everything and I think we lost that at some point um, and that we really did fragment out into a fact a writer has a sex and he has um, you know a race and he has a class and, and she does as well and all of those things and now it seems that 25 years or so later we're finally returning to that where we've fragmented enough that we realize that we can finally come back and put them all together again and um... without disagreeing with anything that anyone has said because i i have agreed with it um, i don't i don't want to say that the experience of being gay makes it possible for me to write about the experience of being black because they're the same because obviously they're they're very very different and that the experience of being gay doesn't make it possible for me to write about the experience of being a woman in this society because they're very very different i think there, there are there aren't universal similarities as much as there are parallels that we can put together, um, but that. If nothing else, I think that when a white person writes about black people, that when a gay person writes about straight people, when a straight person writes about gay people, if the portrait is not somehow real, and I don't particularly believe in that anyway, it's nonetheless interesting to see what white people think about black people and what straight people think about gay people. And um, as long as it's honest, um, then I think it's some way valid whether or not it's racist or stereotypical or not because it says that this is, this is one person's view of another you know, another other that's, that's different from that person, and um, for that reason, I think it, it's always valid if you choose to write about subjects that are not, you know, a product of your own being. Labels,
7: like designer jeans, I wear them to be at my best. I'm a, black, I'm a gay black writer, snap my writings are inspired and focused by the gay black community, add another snap. (laughs) I don't choose to make grievances the focus of my life or my writings. Yes, there is racism in the gay world. Yes, there's homophobia in the black community. But uh, I say empower ourselves by creating institutions, work two, three jobs, start your publishing companies if uh, the gay community is not willing to go beyond a certain tokenization of gay black writers (coughs) and publish ourselves. This is America, this is a capitalist society and it's not going to change anytime soon. So therefore use the best tools of capitalism free enterprise, and start your institutions. And I, I'm not, I don't mean to let off the hook the racism in the white gay community or the homophobia in the black community, but don't make it the focus of your life or of your writings in 1993. It's all about empowerment and creating institutions that are not just self-serving, but that will outlast us.
1: Um, I I want to ask you, um, Asato, another question that is in my muddled brain sort of connected to the points that you were just making. Um, And that is, it really struck me while reading your um, bio that um, a lot of the work that you've done and indeed a lot of the work that's been done by um, gay black writers has been in the form of anthologies. Um, And I wonder why that is and what that represents. Uh, And I also, um, somehow this is also connected. You spoke to me when we spoke on the telephone about... Um, The fact that you see there being um, uh, less emphasis on poets um, now than there was in the past. And it strikes me that some of the most famous of uh, gay black writers are indeed poets. Um, Essex Hemphill, yourself, um, and before their deaths, Joe Beam, and um, um, my best friend, my very good friend, whose name I can't remember at this very very moment. Um, Donald Woods, thank you. Thank, thank you for understanding my life. Um, so what is, what is it that you think is happening such that so much of black gay culture production actually happens in anthologies? Is that a good thing? Or is that, a, is that something that demonstrates a lack of resources to put together, novels, um, to do single?
7: Well, an anthology is a symbol of a community one. And uh, as gay black writers, we needed to be together in that kind of setting. Anthology also is economical in terms of um, you presenting so many voices at once. Hey, what else, what else, what else? The same thing happened with the white gay and lesbian writers because so many of their works were being anthologized at first and then many of them broke out. Regarding the poetry, I mean uh, we have quite a few writers, black gay writers, gay black writers who are not poets. Samuel Delaney, mm-hmm. James Baldwin, the most famous gay writer to begin with. <laughs> uh, he was a poet <laughs> I'll say a bad poet. <laughs> 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 uh, and uh, Randall Keenan, my God. Mm. Uh, so it's not just Essex, Melvin, Donald, myself, and, and what have you, who are basically known as, uh, as poets. Did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> you were asking regarding anthologies and it's economical. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also, the, it's Poetry also is economical because uh, fiction writers, you have to take time from work and uh, to write these long pieces. As black people in America, there are very few of us who could afford to take time from working a nine-to-five job to concentrate on our writings, to concentrate on writing for one year a piece of fiction, so poetry was very very economical because you wrote it in like a few hours. And that's it. Did I, or do you want something else? (laughs) Um,
1: Acceptable. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Um, I want to ask a question to um, Dennis, and I thought that we should talk about sex on this panel. And I thought that you were appropriate to talk about sex with. Um, (laughs) And it seemed to me, I wanted to know whether or not, um, um, in your own work, um, how sex works, um, what sort of things, what sort of, your writing, I mean, how sex works, um, what sort of sexual things you're willing to um, demonstrate in your writing. Whether or not you think um, that there are some things that are beyond the pale, whether or not you think that it's important, for example, to be representing safe sex inside novels, um, etc.
3: Um, well, I use sex all the time in my novels, but it's not for it's not specifically, I think, in the way that a lot of gay writers use sex. It's not supposed to be a sign of like happiness or unity or like you know bliss bliss or anything it's more a kind of um i mean what interests me in my work is like the impossibility of connection between people really and and um specifically um, i mean that connected with like a sense that like adulthood is like a corrupted state and youth is like a really innocent state or some in some way and that um and so and i i've been i guess i examine that dichotomy more than any other um and so Sex is the way the, that people are supposed to connect, like um, in a non-Intellectual way, in a way that's like supposed to be religious or blissful, or, or um, you know, create some kind of, um, you know, you're supposed to be able to get out of the horror of the world through sex. I mean, in love and so on, connected. So, I, I mean, to me, sex. I use sex in my novels because it's the most extreme example of when two people are supposed to be united, and and. Um, and the myth of that, and the reality of it, which is that um, you're actually just lying there with someone you're projecting, and there's some skin that happens to be there, and, um... and, um... So, um... There's certainly nothing that I think is not... That, that's not okay to represent, because it's not supposed to be... Um, it's not referencing, you know, romantic love in a traditional sense, so... Um, I'm not exactly the best person to talk about sex in that sense because it's really just like, it's really just used as a device, you know? So, uh, because I guess, uh, I mean, sex fascinates me, but I also think it's really horrifying, too. So, um, and. uh, What do you mean by horrifying? Well, but for the reasons I said, it's like. I mean um, I mean because i don 't know i mean i i 'm like a fucked up person and i 'm interested in people who are fucked up and who like are like unable to trust other people and who are like uh and who want to desperately and like realize that other people are the only thing and there's, there's no there's no like no conventional religions are right so and that that, that what you should be most interested in is someone who you know fascinates you and perhaps who you desire someone you want to be close to or something so that and that the way to to connect with them in, you know is sex right um I mean that would be the best way to connect with someone you felt that way about so um but that you can't connect with them I don't know, and so um I just don't see i mean i don't so it's it's the ultimate horror in a way because it's a moment where you realize how far away you are from someone from everyone else because you're lying right next to them naked and you're like you're incompetent and you you can't. Articulately, and you whatever, but you're as far away from them as you ever are, mm. so that's what I mean. I guess Does that makes sense, and that's very different than I think, than a way like Michael or Christopher would write about sex. So. Michael or Christopher, <laughs> <laughs>
9: um,
4: <clears throat> oh, yeah, I, I like, I like wimped out on sex completely in my novel. Um, <laughs> You know, I just found that I couldn't do it. I actually, I actually was aware as I was trying to write about sex that um, the English language thins out. You know, suddenly the terminology is either very clinical or kind of almost scatological, kind of adolescent, you know, and there aren't good names for things. Uh, and I mean, you really start, you suddenly, suddenly these, bi- these kind of Victorian biases um, rear their heads. Um, but I, I mean, that's something I actually regret about my novel. I think I think it's it's I, I substituted food for the sex. When you know, every anytime anyone was foot fuck, they would like to make dinner, um, and I could, I could I could talk about it. there were, there were recipes for a while, but I took them out. Um, and then I you know then I, I, I that's like I said, it's one of my regrets. I really I really think you know if you're trying to get under the skin of characters. Um, you know sex is all to do with power and strangeness and I mean, it's you know it goes right to the heart of what you're trying to write about and um... you know the thing that the, the truth about writing about fiction anyway is that you know you can't do it it's impossible you can't write about sex and and you know as a white guy you can't write about what it's like to be a black woman but you do it anyway or you you know you do the the Damn best you can, you know, knowing, knowing that it'll always be incomplete, it'll always fall short of the moment, short of what's you know, hanging in the room here. The ether.
5: Well, I love to write about sex and it's and the main I mean I um and part of one of the things I love about it's I find sex is so dramatic. I mean I mean, I I have bad sex in my novels, too, and I try to vary it with good sex, or it's, I don't know, it's just, well, actually, I find that, I find I will, it's not so much, I I don't kind of begin, okay, here's where the sex scene comes, I, I usually don't think of that, but it's, something has to happen, something has to be resolved, and I find it's being expressed with two men having sex, and... Sometimes it'll be just like a paragraph, and that'll say it uh in my first novel. It went on for twenty pages, and uh I thought, well, this is probably crazy, but I can always go back and cut it, but I went back and read it, and it remained dramatic all the way through it didn't it wasn't like um I, Updike when he writes about sex it's for the sheer challenge of, of the language. And he does it brilliantly, but there's nothing going on. I mean, it's uh, nothing emotionally, nothing that couldn't have been expressed, uh, nothing that even needs to be expressed, except I'm gonna describe what it's like. Whereas I find that whenever that happens, I'll just, they had sex, you know, next skip a line, next chapter or whatever. But when something, when I can have something happen, when something can be expressed, when something can be resolved, uh i i find I've, i'll go on for several pages and and it's a challenge and after four novels you run out of ways to describe it without i mean it, the language does begin to thin out and you uh you need to find new ways new shortcuts uh new new ways to compress it uh i mean you don't want to you you want to avoid the porno clichés uh I mean, pornography has ruined so much of the language about sex, uh, but there are ways to do it, and and I enjoy the challenge. Uh, do you guys want to talk about this?
1: <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to. Um, uh, oh, sorry.
6: Yeah, I guess. Um, when you asked the question, the first thing I thought it was a little review that just came out. Um. Of my book in England, and it was about that long. And the thing, and the most salient detail that stuck out um, was that although my book was candid when it talked about homosexual love, it was not filled with the scenes of stomach churning sexual detail that dominated the works of Edmund White and Alan Hollinghurst. And I thought, what?
8: And <laughs> you know,
6: just. I mean I find that a really interesting comment I mean it was clearly homophobic among other things but I find it interesting because um, for those of you who haven't read the book and I suppose that's most of you um, there's a a scene in the book where um, a gay man's reaction to the death of his lover from AIDS is to get fucked with a shotgun and to ask the man to pull the trigger and I thought well if that's not stomach churning then then what did I just write because it turned my stomach Um, so what does that mean that because say Ed White wrote a book in which two men or several men have sex in Grand Central Station that that's Different. I mean, it's it's all perception. Um, and for me, writing about sex, I guess maybe it's a product of my youth. In fact, I came out when I was 20. I'm 25 now, and I can. And I think there are two ways of coming out. And one is those people who sort of start having sex when they're like 12, and then by the time that they're you know 15 or 16 or 17 or 18 or 19 or 35, they suddenly realize that they're gay. And then there was me, who sort of knew he was gay from the time he was about 12. But God, you know, don't touch me. Don't you know? Don't look at me. And, and it wasn't until Until I was 20, until I was leading my campus's gay and lesbian alliance, until I was, you know, doing everything else before I finally actually had sex, and it it had become this kind of be-all and end-all thing, and I I still see that in my writing um, up till I'm I'm writing a scene like right now, you know, yesterday, today, this afternoon, um, in which this this couple, actually a straight couple, have sex for the first time, and... um, they've been seeing each other for several months and he's going in for an operation the next day to remove a brain tumor at the back of his head and they think he's going to die. And so it's, I mean, it's just, you know, the most important experience of their entire lives and she's preparing to be a widow now forever, um, et-, <laughs> et cetera. You know, and all this is going into the sex scene. And I, and I mean, it's deliberately romantic and I, I think I do tend to look at it that way. Um, but, and I'm not even sure why I, I wanted to say that, but... <laughs> <laughs> just, just that, I think, um, you know, the, the, the gamut... Um, is run in, in gay writing as in any writing when you write whether it 's erotic or, or not erotic when you write about sex that that you can say just about anything um, oh I, th- what I wanted to say was that and I don't think this is true, but I'll say it anyway, that, but that sex is the bottom line of homosexuality. It's what makes us gay writers. It's what makes us gay people. And like I said, I don't think that's true, but I think it, it's true. Um, and I think that's how you have to say it. Um, and that when we write about sex, it's what makes us. It's why we I think, on some level, why we're on this panel, why we're gay writers, and why let um, I me mean, think of your favorite closeted writer who doesn't write about gay people. Henry James, who has never written a gay sex scene, and probably wouldn't be on this panel were he alive today, um, because he didn't write about sex between two men. Although you can go through and find all kinds of gay themes in his work. Um,
1: so, Dale, does that make his literature gay literature then?
6: Um, I'm, I'm really wary of that term. Um, I mean, I read *The Pupil*, for example, as one of you know, an early gay novella. I mean, if it's not about homosexual love, then what the hell is is it about? Um, But um, Daisy Miller, I mean, is she a diva or what? Um, I mean, there are all these things uh, that that are in there. Author, And I'm interested in the fact that he was closeted um, and that he didn't acknowledge his sexuality, um, that he wrote The Beast in the Jungle, um, for example, about a man who never, ever, ever, um, consummate his, lo- his love affair with a woman because he's waiting for some great experience to happen um, which I think, I sort of read as coming out among other things so. mm.
7: A closeted gay writer there's no, such thing, there's no such thing as a closeted gay writer, and I hope that uh, you'll answer, you'll question us on that. But I'm going to stick with the sex business. First of all, if you're writing a lot about sex, it probably means you're not having too much of it. <laughs> <laughs>
5: We are part
7: of uh, an age where gay sex, where homosex, has a negative connotation. We are seen as disease carriers, and so on and so on. S- writing about sex these days for me is uh, writing about memories of uh, freer, f- freer times because for the past five, s- five months, I would say I have stopped having sex due to when I came out of the hospital the second time with pneumocystis, I just couldn't keep a hold on. And it was one of the most weird experiences. Because sex was so much part of my life. And as a result of this virus, that part of my life can continue. So writing about it is uh, remembering unabashed good times. But we also have to remind ourselves that it is not sexuality that is a problem. It is a virus. So go ahead, have as much sex, and do it for me, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get into the business of gay and... Well, you,
1: you, you said there's no such thing as a closeted gay rider. And you said that you hoped that I would ask a question about it. So, there's no such thing as a closeted gay rider?
9: <laughs>
10: <laughs>
7: Homosexuality is a preference. Many of us, most of us, I would say have an inclination to bisexuality that we don't acknowledge or act upon. Gayness is a consciousness that is actively chosen. One cannot be a closeted gay writer because if you are closeted, you cannot be gay. There's a certain choice there. I take issue with many of our leaders in the lesbian and gay community who say, say that we are born gay, etc. There's a choice. Many of us, most of us, I'd be willing to say, are capable of having sex with the other sex. I'm talking about lesbians having sex with men and gay mm-hmm. men having sex with women. We are capable of doing that, but we choose and we prefer not to have sex with the other sex. So in the term gay, there's a choice. There is a certain segment of our community that is probably strictly (laughs) homosexual, and there's a certain segment of straight community that is totally straight, but I'd be willing to bet that most of us are capable of engaging in sex with the other sex, and there comes the choice. And I realized that these statements might add fuel to the right wing notion that we can change if we could, but I'll tell them I refuse to change.
1: Does anyone else want to address that issue? <laughs> okay then. Um, it, it's now 8:30, and um, um, my understanding is that we're going to take a half an hour's worth of uh, question and answer from the floor. Um, so it's time to do that now. And I have a note here that says please encourage the use of the microphone off stage. So please and, and st- if you want to ask a question maybe we could use the mic because I think that it probably has to do with a recording of the questions
4: you know before before we start the questions I uh, just quickly um, I, I was on in one other panel in my life it was a horrible panel um, a few months ago where I was kind of like the token gay man and um, it was it it was pompous and and demeaning and awful um, and uh, when it was time to when it was time to, for people to ask the questions that nobody especially wanted to ask of the panel members who weren't especially interested to hear them, um, I thought, you know, um, what's really interesting to me about this situation about people who write sitting up in front of people who read um, is not, you know, for whatever it's worth, you hear what we have to say, fine, but um, you know. Among the other things you're doing when you're writing, you're trying to give somebody something that, that you hope they'll want to have. And um, I would love f- to like ask some people in the audience some questions just about what you want from books. You know, what are you looking for? Um, I'll take vol- I'll take volunteers, or I'll just call on people. <laughs> don't try to, Don't try to look away. Um, I mean, you know, is anybody willing to let, you know, as a reader, to like, like, like talk to the writers about what you, you know? What do you hope for when you when you pick up a book? What do you hope you'll get that you you know maybe sometimes get and sometimes don't? Please, go to go to, Yeah. <clears throat> uh, no.
11: Hello. Oh, wow. This is kind of a perfect question because I had a real, real concern with the talk that was going on about race earlier with, to me, a lot of the kind of uncritical assumptions that go into saying, um, because I'm gay, I have an in to a gay black man. I'm gay and white and I have an in to gay black men or gay Asian men or gay Latino men. Or I, I find that, that kind of inward motion kind of problematic, and I think that's like the very essence of colonization and um, I think it's very important certainly as, as gay white writers or, uh, or white writers in general to talk about race and to talk about how your subjectivity uh, kind of relates to questions about race or how you see um, race operating in your relations to people of other color but I have kind of a real problem with trying to enter and I would really like to uh, kind of direct this to, to Christopher Bram whose book I just read last week. Um, because I think, it, I mean, I appreciate that, that you would write about Asian, Asian gay boys or that you would write about a kind of, um, about American presence in the Far East. But I think part of being gay kind of may well, instead of offering you or offering anyone an in, um, kind of provide a kind of, assumption about what a gay Asian boy would be like. Because um, to be per- perfectly honest, I had a huge problem with boys who were always bottoms, who did little Buddhist bows, who um, spoke really... Um, the, the gay Filipino hairdresser or bisexual Filipino hairdresser was really irksome to me because, because precisely of how he spoke in his relation to the American and to his government as though he were the pathetic toad of his government. I'm getting far too detailed about that. I really wanted to both uh, ask people on the panel how they feel about their position I really feel about their position, whether they really feel uncomfortable. I would love to hear whether people feel comfortable or uncomfortable and to urge everyone to think about that position and to write from a position that is critical, and not just kind of an in, or a uncritical embracing? First of all, it's a free
7: country. People have a right to write whatever they want. But two, where does it stop? Men cannot write about women, women cannot write about men, blacks cannot write about whites, whites cannot write about blacks, etc. I mean, where does it stop?
11: like right one and kind
5: of successful. no I mean when no I mean I, there's um, I knew I was taking a risk with almost history with the Asian characters uh, and um, and w- earlier when I was talking about my gayness giving me an in uh, I didn't I didn't mean it's not uncritical it's not I am not saying oh hey here's another gay man sure I can do him because' I'm, I'm aware I'm playing with fire I don't want to reduce the character to other, capital O. I don't want to do, uh, um, just reproduce the stereotype. Uh, and, I mean, I was very nervous about that uh, when I did it. Uh, the only, I mean, I, while I was writing the book, I got into correspondence uh, with uh, a journalist in the Philippines, and I was sending him chapters. And I was asking, is this... Does it sound like this character, or does it sound like a new set of Western cliches about this character? He gave me a couple of suggestions, which I incorporated. He said for him he didn't have any problem with it. Uh, He said some people were going to. He said also that I'm, I mean, for some reason I'm, was more kind of surprised and pleased with, and felt I brought off Gus's wife better then I brought off Gus. I mean, she had a, Gus is, is. I mean, he's Emilda Marcus's hairdresser. He is very irresponsible uh, uh, person. He's not, uh, his wife is the much more, is the responsible member of that family. She understands things that are sta- at stake where Gus doesn't. Uh, I deliberately had Gus not be a bottom. I mean I didn't I wanted to avoid that uh the uh uh prostitute in Bangkok on the other hand who's the only one who gives the Buddhist bow. I mean that's based on some experience and and stories I've heard. I mean that seemed to make sense. But no, I knew I was playing with fire and I wanted to take the risk. Uh and And I think we should take the risk i mean I mean you in a way you kind of admit that you you're glad I took that chance you don't think I pulled it off uh, that I ended up falling into the the Asian stereotypes uh, but I've, I've, all I want to make clear is that I was aware of all the difficulties and the dangers involved uh.
9: <laughs>
1: oh, is. In really like <laughs> so did did everyone hear what he said?
8: <laughs> <laughs>
12: are, are you really a rice queen?
5: <laughs> he,
1: he said, "Are you interested in Asian men only on the level of the imaginary, or on, are you only a rice queen?" <laughs> and, uh,
9: and I'm no. really curious does, I mean, if you are, I mean, it seems to me if you have to somehow send somehow your text, let's say, to Asia to get some sort of response, but to what extent are you actually talking about your own experience in relationship to Asian men? I mean, have you thought of an Asian man? I mean, I mean and that, that would be my question, is, I mean, why, why don't you go to become very somehow to you, send your text about research, or are you in the ground? Colonized and somehow, you know, practices. It seems to me that um I mean it's what was being said about relationships and how race and class to me is so much about colonization, it seems like what you're saying, you know, without really an attempt to somehow interrogate, you know, your whiteness, interrogate your desire for Asianness. It seems to me that there needs to be a much more thorough, somehow self-critique about that desire, not to police it, but to really begin to sort of um get, talking about well, the difficulty in that type of desire. You know, it seems to me it needs to be much more complicated as opposed to somehow relying on somehow, you know, I don't know, bottom, you know, Asian bottoms or somehow black box or black, you know, drag things. I'm tired of black drag queens. You know what I'm saying? I'm tired of some type of construction, I mean older, yeah, so my, should... sure I'm tired of that type of construction of the stereotypes of the black ages, what have you much more interesting people, like maybe somehow that difference. And as if I maintain the
8: technology
5: Okay, go ahead. Okay, no, I've, I'm not a rice queen. I have... Uh, <laughs> I've got a couple of Asian-American friends, but I, I have no kind of sexual... I mean, it's, it's not a sexual fantasy for me. What it... I mean that there were uh, gay Asian characters in this novel is because of the route the story took. The book... The novel is about American imperialism. is about a man in the State Department. It... Uh, Considering the experiences he has both in Vietnam and in the Philippines, it would it made sense that he would become involved with a couple of Asian men, uh, and so it came out of the story. Uh, I mean that's all, all I can. I'm uh, um, there's uh, I mean in regards to okay in hold tight, Juke the houseboy. There's one scene where he dresses up in drag. I at that point I had made a point that I've established Juke enough as his own character that this wouldn't be oh all blacks are, uh, are drag queens because I didn't like that either but for the story it made sense at the time it was the logic of the story uh, dictated it because of the then complexities it created for the other characters attitudes towards Juke okay I I was trying I in both books I was text representations is always
9: juice to somehow the bot or somehow the
5: emasculated queen. I mean to You
1: can answer that. And then we need to go on to the next
5: question. In both case in both books, with uh Asians in Almost History and with Juke in uh, uh Hold Tight, I was trying to address that construction. I was trying to take it apart. I mean the thing in Hold Tight. Juke is the character who is far more perceptive about what's going on in terms of these very macho men's uh gay uh behavior than anyone else uh, i'd like uh I'd like
12: to make the observation uh <clears throat> in the discussion of sex in the novels. I found it very surprising that uh Dale Peck <clears throat> was the only uh writer up there who uh Said that the sex, <clears throat> the tension, and the excitement uh, comes from uh, the, char- the plot and the characters in the story. That's what makes the sex part interesting. I found Dennis, Michael, and Christopher's answers uh, very strange
5: uh, for gay writers. Uh, excuse me. To I said that the sex was dramatic; that something had to happen. Um, but and, and and I also think Dennis made it made it quite clear that there's. His whole these various emotions that are going on in, in the sex scenes in his own work.
12: Well, I, I thought most of the answers were very dismissive of uh, the part, I think, that really brings you together,
5: and I would agree with Dale Peck in his answer.
2: Hi. Um, to answer your question... Uh, Which question is that? The one that Michael asked... Um, I think the thing that disturbs me most about most queer writing is its complacency. Um, The question about like what do you want to hear from readers. Um, I kind of like this panel because I see all of you as people who are very original writers and also writers who risk um, in both... That, you know, plot but also in language and there seems to be so many gay and lesbian writers who especially well, fiction and poetry who sort of take residence sort of take for granted and it's not not just talking about white people, white writers, who sort of take it for granted in existence in what I call Levittown. And um and i think what i want to say is i don't i don't want i don't want this i don't want when i open a book to to sort of get confirmation <laughs> i want that challenge um i think ultimately we can categorize and and do all this stuff because I really feel like we in the we in the queer community also sort of go after each other in the same with that same sort of self-interest and turf fighting that you know in the 80s was ha- happened on Wall Street and in boardrooms all over the country. I think ultimately those things are beside the point because it really comes down to how truthful and how, how truthful the vision is and how great the language is. And what I'd like to ask you guys is, what do you hope or do, to hear from your readers? Or do you hope to hear anything at all? When you finish something, is it just, I don't want to hear what anybody says? Or, I mean, do you kind of hope that you, I mean, do, somebody, I can't remember which writer it was, once said to me, well, I don't really know why I write or what it says, so I kind of hope that people who read it can tell me someday.
1: Michael, do, you do you ever have, feel that? Do you want to respond to that?
4: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Aside from just pure unadulterated praise, um, no. I mean, I, I want. Um, I guess. I guess the most gratifying response to me is is that, that, that something I wrote seemed true. You know, it's. I mean, it, it seems. It seems like a lot of what we're talking about here is 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 the the, the incredible difficulty of getting out of yourself, whatever and whoever you are, and, and getting under the skin of, of the world and trying to write something that stands up, that just doesn't seem like something that marched out of your own head. When somebody says, you know, yeah, this seemed, this seemed real to me, I say, mm-hmm.
6: um, I'd like to answer that as well, too. I, I just got a letter. I just came back from Europe on Sunday, and I opened all this mail Monday, um, and I got a letter from a man who read my book he said while he was taking his daily dose of ganciclovir, and, um, and he was reading a, a particular passage in the book which, which made him just break down into fits of, of sobbing, and his nurse thought he was having an attack or something. Um, and and we like to hear those kinds of things. And then I got, I got another letter. Said, <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, no, um, I, 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 should, I should amend that. Um, I went in yesterday also for my annual HIV test, um, and I guess that tells you if I go in for more than one that I'm probably not positive yet. Um, and so it meant a lot to me because, because AIDS came to dominate this book at the end and not at the beginning um, I, because I wrote it as I immersed myself in the gay world and in the world of AIDS activism, ACT UP style, et and I, you know, when we speak of identity politics, there is, I think, a split between HIV positive and negative as well as a split between, between race, between gender and everything else. And I wanted to know if this book was going to be true. And when you get this book, you know that it's true at least for one person out there. Then, then it means something a lot. Um, then I got another letter as well. I mean, there were, there were three or four, not tons, three or four. Um, and this was from a person who's coming out. Um, and he, he asked me all these questions. Basically, he wanted me to tell him, write him a letter saying, it's okay. And, um, you know, after having read the whole book, he still wanted, you know, to have some real gay person tell him directly, it's okay. Um, and, that, and that had nothing to do with the book at all. I mean, he, he asked all these questions, which said to me that he really didn't get a thing in the book at all, um, and he wanted it all explained. Um, but still, he thought, because I had written this book, I was, I was there enough. And that's a completely different level and something I, I find very valid. And then I just wanted to touch on um, your touch on, on, on David Levitt. Um, which is whether or not you think he's a good writer, I think we're all aware on different levels um, that our perception by the straight community is their perception of us and, and not particularly something we do. And my own theory is you know, that David Levitt because of where he comes from, because of his background and, and, to a lesser degree, what he writes about was seized on as, as the straight community's gay writer to read um, and that a lot of us dislike him for that, partially because we're jealous and partially because his vision isn't our vision and we want him to market gay people to straight people in a different way. Um, I think he's in a really, really difficult position um, still and, and now he has a new book coming out about the Spanish Civil War and I want to know how that's going to be reviewed in the gay press. Is he going to now be the, the ultimate sellout? Um, and I'm not going to say whether, whether I, I like or dislike his work, but I think we should always keep in mind that what straight people have to say about David Levitt is not what David Levitt has to say about, about himself. And what, and what straight people say about gay people via David Levitt is, is, is their there thoughts and, and not his and not our own. And we should keep that in mind before we just damn. <laughs> he
7: very well said... What I hope for, as a gay gay black writer, is that a gay black reader and audience will tell me that I gave them something tangible that they themselves should hope for. Something to help them raise their consciousness as gay black people. Something that will make them want to read about themselves in my writings. Judy Grun once stated that hope is what entices people to read, to see themselves reflected accurately and respectfully. I always say to any writer, offer the reader some hope, especially during these times. We have to offer inspiration, consolation and hope.
13: Um, My comment is uh, mainly a reaction to Christopher Brown's uh, response to Robert's first question on race and how that has configured you as a white gay writer. Um, First, I think this has been brought up several times this evening, but the idea of speaking for others, I think it's important to keep in mind. We should be careful not to um, stay away from speaking for others as if there's some kind of unifying experience that gay people have or Asians have or black people have or women have and even more so you know, black gay people, et cetera, or white straight people. Um, and that of course configures to your own writing um, as well in that you don't necessarily have the in to a white gay community, but you have, obviously, a very... um, You have the in about your own experiences. And um, an example I want to illustrate is... I hope I'm doing justice to this interpretation, but Gayatri Spivak talks about this concept in one of her essays of earning the right to speak and earning the right to criticize, in which she illustrates... um, she talks about the anger faced by white heterosexual men and how they feel um, silenced in talking about the experiences of people of color and different people who have been marginalized. And I think I think um, not just as is, is one's political, uh, not just as one's sexual partner a very political act, but I think the choice of one's friends, the people we talk to, and, and, under, and how we um, are informed as who we are about other people's experiences is a very political act as well. And so I think it's, it's almost impossible to earn that right to speak um, about different experiences other than ones that we've had if one never interacts with those people. And I think just... I'm almost done. Um, one of the um, criticisms of the, um, the upsurge of uh, the concentration on cultural studies on African American uh, experiences is that the people who study it are talking about it in place of um, mm-hmm. relating to people those experiences. So I just want to end with mm-hmm. that. Thanks. <clears throat> Told us about this, this
5: is a question. Uh, hold on
1: one second, please. There's somebody here in the front row, not, and then I'll let you go. go ahead. You haven't told
2: us about yourself and your background. Could you for a
1: minute? What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> He's good sex. <laughs> I'm excellent sex. Black on my mama's side, black on my daddy's side. Um, I don't. I really honestly don't know what you want to know. Well, I think that I'm here as moderator because I believe that I could handle a tough panel, um, which I think I've done. And, um, and um, I, I'll say that one of the reasons that I, that I asked Chris that question and didn't ask it to Asado to follow up is because one of my projects, projects as a critic is to make whiteness visible, right? I think that blackness, that people of color are terribly visible, but that white people never have to talk about their own race. And so I think that constantly we're having to talk about our backgrounds. And I think that a certain type of thing happens to gay people. Well, did you have a domineering mother or um, um, a, an absent father? I had both a domineering mother and an absent father, if you, if you want to know that. But I don't think it really gives, I don't really think that it's that important to what I've become as a person. And I would rather ask the people who are asking me those questions constantly. Why is it it's important to ask you? Why, why is it important to know uh, what my background is? Well, at the same time, it's not important to know what the background of white heterosexual men is. I'm not sure if that's what you wanted me to say, but... No.
2: Actually, uh, I'm not too familiar with any of the other names. I, the other
1: I and you are familiar with you
9: know, me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't know who you are, and I thought I'd like to know a little more about you. What did you write? What did you write <laughs> about? What kind of critic are you?
1: I feel a little bit uncomfortable as if this isn't is appropriate. I'm a teacher at the City College, and I, and I um, write on race and sexuality in particular. I write a lot of stuff on, on black gay experience, and I'm trying very hard to write about um, the way in which sexuality has figured in uh, the construction of an Afro-American community. I write primarily about the 19th century, but I also write about the late 20th century as well. I get applause. Thank you.
12: I just want to comment briefly. Uh, I can't let Christopher Bram get away with something. He uh, insinuated that once you teach uh, literature in high school, there's something about the fact that it's uh, it, it's a losing game, perhaps uh, it's rele- uh, relegated to the um, to dead uh, to the dead. However, I also wanted to address uh, Dennis Cooper in um, when you asked, excuse me, Michael Cunningham, when you asked about what do readers want. And uh, as a, a reader long before gay liberation, I kept um, looking for self-confirmation and uh, I, I yearned to find uh, the good books who, uh, who dealt with gay, which dealt with gay characters so I could confirm my own self. And I think that's also true among all uh, types of literature that we, we are always looking for a confirmation for ourselves. And um, I was just recently teaching Antigone and uh, what really brought it alive was an article in the uh, New York Times recently called The Politics of Silence which happened to mention Antigone and uh, bridge the homosexual liberation with uh, the um, situation that Antigone found herself. in. And I... And I found that I, was, I made copies of it and I presented it before my classes. And it was the first time I ever really had a discussion of homosexuality in the classes. And I thought that was a, a liberation moment for myself. And I also think that I would re, uh, teachers are continually looking for good examples of so-called, quote, gay literature uh, to present to the classes. Uh, the only thing we have in our high school is tea and sympathy at this moment. And it's been around a long time. And not for much
11: longer with the rainbow curriculum, right? So <laughs> okay.
10: Um, I'd also like to respond to Michael Cunningham's invitation, but not by way of telling you what I'd like to hear, but asking you about some clarification about what you've already given us. Um, when Asato mentioned the uh, issue of, of preference and sexual expression, he was dipping into the endlessly resurgent, and to my mind, endlessly annoying discussion of essentialism, inherency, biologicity of uh, homosexuality, you gave us a character that I found uh, disturbing um, in a pleasant way. (laughs) Uh, I forget his name, but the character who has a kind of amorphousness of sexual expression and his... uh, Capacity to attach intimately with male or female. And I really struggled trying to understand what you were trying to express in that character. And I'd like to ask you directly, um, maybe I'm misreading the importance of that, but I saw the, the sexual diffuseness and the intimacy bonding diffuseness of this character as meaningful, but I didn't understand what that meaning was. Um...
4: Well, well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, but I don't know if I can answer it very satisfactorily without just going on and on sort of boringly. Um, see me after class. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. I, I would just soon talk, to you, talk to you privately about it afterwards. I, I feel like it would drag okay. on,
1: and, and people haven't read the book. And so
10: it's
1: one minute till nine, so...
8: Okay, I just want to make this quick. I was very impressed with um, Dale Peck's answers and um, to to respond to uh, what Michael Cunningham has. I, I think that it's important that we that we have a feeling of the consciousness of the author. That when um, the author, in, in fact, speaks speaks from the other, that they've that we get a sense that. They have done their research in in a really honest way, you know, because then because it is it is not um um it's not difficult to see it's it's struck you can see the struggle between colonization affects us all, you know, and we have to begin to be aware enough to take off our colonization hats, so to speak in order to do the proper research, in order to present identifiable and um, dimensional characters. A lot of times, given the roles that some characters of the other are given, they only leave maybe one dimension. And I think what I would like to see is something with more dimension, like um, Belvin Dixon in, in Vanishing Rooms. He wrote a white character, and um, in that character, I saw more than a a lot of dimensions in the character, and I thought it was very important, I thought it was unique, you know, for him as a gay writer. Yeah,
4: yeah, you know, um, somebody once said, as a writer, you can do whatever you can get away with, but nobody's ever gotten away with much, Um, you know, and... and, um, I, I'm not quite sure what I, what I said, what, it, what came out of my mouth and how it sounded. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's hard work we're all trying to do, you know? And I, and I think um, if, if racism and sexism and homophobia are going to start to break down, um, you know, this is a good place for it to start to happen. And I, I mean, I think an exchange like this is probably the best justification I know for holding a panel like this. You know? Um, it's, it's, it's really good and, I think, important to talk about this, you know? Because we're all, I feel like we're trying, however, imperfectly to break out of ourselves, you know? And, and, and it's hard, and, we, and, and not, the, not the least of the struggles is, is our own blindness and our own um, resistance and our lack of knowledge.
6: Um, I just, when, you, when you said that, um, I, I, I'm sort of halfway in the middle of Vanishing Rooms right now, but it's interesting that in the last panel we were talking about James Baldwin, or they were talking about James Baldwin, and the fact that he had difficulty integrating being black with well, being gay. Um, I mean, or, or so we perceive right. in Giovanni's room where the main <laughs> character is straight, where Go Tell It on the Mountain, um, you know, it seems to me I just I just read the book that that there's a strong gay sub theme going on there. But when we say that we say that James Baldwin had difficulty integrating being black with being gay in his work. But when we when we talk about Melvin Dixon writing about a white character now, we perceive it as, as a venture out. Um, and I, it's it's interesting to me just between the two discussions how how we're thinking of those two writers in different ways. Maybe because they come from historical periods. Maybe because they treated their material differently. Um, but essentially, I mean. As I look at the two texts that, that I'm, I'm, you know, having read both of them fairly recently, I'm in the middle of vanishing rooms right now, that, that, that the treatment is really similar um, and on, men, on many, many, many levels, um, but that simply for historical reasons, we're viewing them differently. We're saying that James Baldwin had a problem putting things together and that Melvin Dixon
1: was, you know, stretching out when he wrote about a white person. Dale, I I think that we're out of time. One thing I did want to say—I'll take this opportunity to say it—is that in the conversation about James Baldwin, I very much disagree with the idea that James Baldwin um, uh, was not able to integrate his gayness with his blackness, and I actually think that the Bergman treatment of him in *Gaiety Transfigured* is rather shallow. um, And I want to point that out and and not leave it—not leave the idea that somehow—not leave the idea that James Baldwin wasn't able to—not let that idea rest, because I think that it's completely fallacious. Before, I don't want to be the last word, though, and so I want to give each of you a chance to say something if you want to, and then we can can break.
7: The issue of AIDS has hardly been dealt with, and I'm curious why, because uh, so much of our writings now and tomorrow is... uh, focused and inspired by the AIDS crisis. The only worry that I have regarding tomorrow is that uh, I want to empower as many gay black poets as possible because the gay black writers community gay black poets' community is being decimated by AIDS. I did an anthology of 100 gay black poets uh, two years ago. Out of the 100 poets, 11 have since died, and many of us, including myself, are in late stages of HIV illness. I counted 54 out of the 100 dealing with some form of HIV and uh, those of us who have somewhat achieved whatever little amount of fame <laughs> are going for an early retirement in our graves. I'm talking about Essex, who has AIDS, although he claims he's HIV positive, but he's, he has AIDS. Myself, Melvin Dixon, who died; Donald Woods, who died; Egor Gonzalez, who has uh, AIDS also. And it's a very frightening situation. <sighs> but like I said, the worry that I have right now is to empower as many Black gay poets before I I leave. Orling, I don't worry about what's going to happen in terms of. Uh, Let me rephrase that. Our language, like uh, the virus that is in most of our bodies, mutates, must mutate. And uh, new decades will bring a new language, will bring new voices. I'm optimistic, like I stated earlier, that there's a whole new generation that's coming. And that will be the voice of the gay community.
6: Okay. Um, I thought we were just going to go down. Sorry.
1: We don't have to, but you can go. Uh,
6: I, was, I was going to tell a joke earlier and it suddenly strikes me as very serious after listening to Osoto speak, which was that Jackie Collins' new book has a little note at the beginning of it that says that there is unsafe sex depicted in this work, but in these times, you know, I urge everyone to practice safe sex. And, um, I think, you know, on some level it's kind of funny, but you realize the magnanimity of of the crisis. um, And though we didn't talk about it much, I think everyone on this panel and um, many of the people in the panel before us are all writing about it, and we are all concerned with it. And um, these things slip sometimes, you know, in discussions. But I think it's important to all of us um, and that that it's important in
1: general. Okay, then. Um, The end. Um, thanks very much, and I think you very much And before you go, and before you go, I'd like to um, say that the people who um, did most of the organizing for for this event were Martin Duberman uh, from the Center for Lesbian and Gay Studies, which is housed here, and Pamela Pierce. Stand up, Pamela, if you're here. Of the Pan American Center